2: hello my name's Jess Phillips and welcome back to yours sincerely we're now in series two of the podcast and I'm so excited to bring you more conversations with some incredible guests from amazing authors to actors and activists now most of you might know I'm an MP in Birmingham but what you might not know is that I've always been a prolific letter writer and know the power of putting words to paper so in this podcast I give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them Someone they love, someone who’s no longer around, and someone who doesn’t realize how significant a role they’ve played in their lives. And when we’ve heard more about each person, they’ll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Kathy Rensenbrink is the author of the Sunday Times best-selling memoir, The Last Act of Love: an incredibly moving story about her brother Matty, who was involved in a hit-and-run car accident just weeks before he received his GCSE results and how it changed the lives of everyone in her family forever. Last year, Kathy also published Write It All Down, a down-to-earth guide to writing about your life on the page. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. Well, hello, Cathy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's very nice to be here. I, I feel like you're like the perfect person to come on this podcast because it's all about writing down your life stories and you are well evangelical about people writing down their stories and putting pen to paper about their lives so i assume that you're a bit of a letter writer
3: i am yeah i've always loved writing letters i did i mean i just really like writing and i really like other people writing i always say to people like if you don't want to write i'm not going to bully you into it but like people have a real you, barrier about they it do, don't yeah, they do yeah and that's what i feel like i want, I want to make sure that I'm interested in making people know that it's available to them, like if they might if they've got the slightest urge, then it's worth having a think about it. It's and a bit like a crack, art, at it. isn't
2: it like i I assume from experience and all set, but I'm sure that this can't be true that I am terrible at drawing, mm. and my mother in-law used to say to me constantly that anyone can draw like mm. there's just uh, you know, of course, if you just did it and actually doesn't matter what you do, what you draw, but I still feel like if anyone asked me to draw something that I would then have to show to somebody, I would find that really, really horrible yeah, uh, and me I too. think some it's... people feel that about writing, Yeah, don't me they? too
3: and with art, it's definitely like I was just sort of like rubbish at school because I kept knocking over the water and no yeah. one wanted me to sit at the neat table and the teacher wasn't very nice and now, you know, I mean I'm 50, I often have this urge for colour but, but then again, 12 year old me yeah. knows that that was bad so I think you're right and it is the same with writing Probably like singing, all that stuff. So I just love, from a writing point of view, always want to say to people
2: you know what, maybe someone did bully you at school a bit about it, but let's just relax. It's a bit like trying to get people to be political activists. People are like, well, what could I possibly change? And it's just like, well, tell it to Rosa Parks.
3: Yes, and of (coughs) course, yeah, and it's the same thing, isn't it? All that barrier of, I don't understand, I don't even understand what they do in that place. But, you know, somebody
2: told me it's hard to get published and I don't understand it. Yeah, like, it's just like, oh, you know, ordinary people don't change things. And I'm like, well, you know, we have the weekend because of the union, (laughs) because some people in a canteen somewhere went... Be nice if we had some time off, wouldn't yeah. it? like the weekend was invented yeah. by an ordinary person who was pissed off about something. Yeah. Like imagine you could invent something as good as the weekend. No one's ever invented anything as good as the weekend since. There's a high bar. Yes. Yeah, so you are. Do you have any particular letters of note that you've kept that were important in your life from loved ones or getting a first job, your first pub- publishing? Or... I really
3: wish I had more actual letters. I don't quite know. I was just careless about my belongings when I was younger. Yeah. Moved around. I've sort of lost all the all lots of like sort of the good stuff. But what I really love is my editor Francesca who. Uh, is a brilliant human being. And she also does have really beautiful handwriting, so it's not just that what she says is amazing, but there is something about her handwriting. So I've got quite a lot of the stuff that she sent me right at the beginning when we were working on our first book together. And also, um, when my first book was a Word document and she would print it out and she would write editorial notes on it in her handwriting, and I've got quite a lot of that stuff and can't bear myself to... I've I just got this pile of manuscripts because there's just something about looking at her handwriting on it. And the notes that she... Sent with it, and always quite a good reminder that t- writing books takes a long time. You know, yeah. <laughs> I quite looking. I like looking at a great the pile of stuff, the pile of stuff. Um, so I really, I really love, I really love that. And there's something about the, yeah, it's all sorts of things for me, I suppose, the connection between us and then now I don't throw things away so I keep things and it was just my 50th birthday and I did get like a few paper cards and little notes and stuff and I've kind of kept them and I'm almost thinking I I want to make something out of them again just like a kid would I'm going to stick my birthday cards together (laughs) on a big piece of card and I thought I'd have the pictures like the front of the cards but then write out the handwriting and the people and make it into something so I feel it's this desire to archive which grows in on me as I get a bit older there is something about the physical thing isn't there and like There is definitely something about having the actual object in your hand rather than just this sort of, like, you know, device full of loads of stuff.
2: Yeah. I I do think that. So I've asked you to think about three people that you would like to write a letter to. Uh, And so the first one is the person who means the world to you. So who would that person be? Gosh,
3: I kind of slightly feel I'm starting to cry already. So this is my dad. (laughs) Uh, I, I love my dad, and um, I think it's such an amazingly... It's just such a gift to a woman, I think, to have an encouraging father. Yeah. Um, and the thing with my dad is he couldn't read and write until he was an adult. Wow. And he... Um, so he was the youngest of nine children. He was born in Cork City in the 50s. And his early memories, they're all about being in the pawn shop queue with his mother, his dad being in the pub. Uh, he's really, again, very keen on women. He says it was always the women holding everything together, and he was sort of listening to them talk. Um so they, he was sort of broadly kind of like poor but happy. And then when he was eight, he, um, they lived in this 3 bedroom house and his four brothers had one room and his four sisters had another room and he slept with his parents. And when he was eight, he woke up and his mum was cold next to him. <gasps> and she died in the oh night. Um, and everything just kind of, like his sisters did their best. He's very close to the sister next to him, Rose. But, of course, she was only 13 and um, his dad then pretty much... Drank himself to death over the next five years. Um, My dad went completely feral because he was going to school and being teased for being dirty because no one was looking after him. Then, of course, he didn't want to put up with that, so he just got really good at dodging the truant officer Mm. around Cork and going fishing and doing all sorts of things. And then he ran away to sea when he was 15, um, which is the first time he thought he wasn't stupid. By this time, he was a real, like, problem kid. Mm. Everybody thought he was stupid. And then he got on this German ship and learnt German just by talking to the other people. Wow. And then thought, like, maybe I'm not so stupid stupid. after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to, sailed into Falmouth, met my mother, um, fell in love. They're still really in love now. Aww. Um, But, again, that was a scandal because he was all, like, covered in tattoos and hair, illiterate Irishman, which, of course, back in the, whenever it was, late 60s, wasn't like it is now. He was, like, a real... You know, there was this neighbour, he told me the other day, this neighbour whose dog used to bark at him, used to say, he can smell the Irish on you. I mean, that's just, like... But, anyway, so it was that. And then my mum was, like, the head girl of the grammar school.
2: and um, So he was the Megan in that Absolutely,
3: yeah. So, but, yeah, but all blissful and then he learned to read and write later on when I was seven or eight and my mum used to test us both out of this big red spelling book and I'd always win and he'd always be really proud of that and that's the thing isn't oh it that's the real gosh. thing and he's he loves the he just loves me doing kind of like clever things which he can't get his head around to talk. and he says to me it's like I'm trying to whisper because it feels like a <laughs> thing to thing but um he'll say to me things like you're your, you know, your name's in the paper, like in really big letters. It's that sort of thing. It's so, so not what I know. It's not what other writers' fathers, because there aren't many writers whose fathers couldn't Good read reads, and write. and that, write. That must you be know? incredibly that is, rare. I and mean, I mean, the other thing I think it gives me as a gift is, again, just like just the fact that I have him and I know him. It's so it, I know it feeds into everything that I do and everything that I write. And I'm always trying to think about how this would be understood by someone who just wasn't used to it, you know. But also, I really like people who haven't been formally educated. He's super bright and he says things in a really interesting way. He hasn't been told what to think. He hasn't been told how to express things. Yeah. And certainly... My husband's the same. My husband
2: absolutely the same. He's the cleverest person I know and he doesn't really have any sort of proper formal education. Um and yeah, was would be considered a problem, but you know it, he is the only person who can actually solve any problem in yeah. my life. <laughs> if I need something doing, it's him yeah. who I'm asking. Yeah. Does your dad have a brilliant Cork accent? Is he hard to understand?
3: No, because it's softened. It's uh, a nice Cork accent, but when he goes to Ireland, it gets very, it gets like massively stronger. Because
2: uh, certainly, my friends from West Cork yeah. are um where some of um that you know I, I grew up going there as a kid um it is i mean that they are speaking some some seriously hard to understand uh
3: yeah i've got an uncle i love very much but i've always struggled to understand him yeah. i did say to my dad and my dad's cuz he's getting a bit deaf now my dad he says like oh, i've not understood a word he says for years is i just the... nod and smile
2: <laughs> wow what a what a character your dad sounds that sounds like what an Im- what an unbelievable life. That is yeah. like the story, like like your sort of Angela's Ashes sort of story, where, you know, that, that sort of hard Irish poor upbringing, um, it just sounds absolutely phenomenal. Is he still close to the family that he has that are still alive?
3: He's very close to his sister Rose, yeah. and most of his siblings... I mean, m- most of his siblings have now died because he was the youngest... Um, and he's very close to there was a an aunt took him in for a bit and it didn't quite work out he says he was just too feral by then mm. but he's also very close to her children and their children so I think they're coming over in a bit to see us so and he doesn't he's not remote I mean one of the reasons I do find him very inspiring is he's just I mean he's never read a self-help book in his life no. apart from if it's written by me and then he'll <laughs> read it but he somehow has he does all those things that, that you'd have to sort of pay an American therapist a lot of money for them to tell you that you just need to focus on the positive and keep moving forward and be grateful for what you've got and think about. So he just doesn't sort of, he doesn't dwell. And in any situation, even when it's difficult, I've noticed, he will find, like, so he's um, got cancer at the moment. And if you ask him anything about it, he'll just say how brilliant the nurses are. The nurses are so brilliant, he'll say... I, the nurses are so lovely. I hate the fact that some people are rude to them. The nurses are so nice. I just always make, I, you know, And that's all he wants to talk about. So anything he will find something good I'm to positive. say about it. And that's again, it's an ama- it's a gift, and it's nice to be with someone like that. You know, I grew up in a very happy house where, and he's a great laugh. I mean, he's incredibly yeah. funny, and of course, a brilliant storyteller. Yeah, the not not being able to write it down. Doesn't matter because he's very because he is very funny and he used to because he'd come home off night shift, kind of coal dust in his eyelashes, and I just loved hearing all the stories of like everything that had gone wrong down the pit, you know. Then there was this flood and then this drill bit broken, not a drill bit like on our drill, a <laughs> drill bit it's that big yeah. and you know all of that. So um, yeah, I do. I, I think he's just brilliant and he's so and he's just really kind as well, which again, it's very nice to see it's just very nice to see men being really really kind. and to see a very strong man mm-hmm. being very kind all the time. So i know that it's given me i mean i really like men and i yeah. think that's the privilege i've got because i've got i've got i've got friends who didn't have fathers like mine and they're always a bit frightened of men and yet i can see yeah. why they are. I, but my I base agree, totally. my base approach to life is to men is that I like and trust them because that's what I've known and I'm not having
2: to try and get over that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, I mean, funnily enough, even though I I ended up um, doing the work that I do uh, with uh, violent men and supporting women who've been terribly abused by patriarchal systems and they definitely, definitely exist, what I find one of the most insulting things is the way that men are, in the argument, the sort of defensive men, is oh uh, well, boys will be boys. As if men are so, so derisive towards men, as if like they're they're base creatures mm. who can't control their own urges, or that they have urges that women don't have. It's just not true in my mm. experience. Men are lovely and complex and kind mm-hmm. and sweet and funny and clever. And, and yeah, they are... I'm going to be honest, most of the men in my life are considerably more practically capable <laughs> than me. Um, and maybe that's because I'm surrounded by lots of brilliantly, practically capable men that I've never... I've been de-skilled terribly. But, like, all the men in my life did all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the caring, mm-hmm. in every sense. Yeah. The emotional... Not just, like, caring, like, you know, they picked you up from school, which is a low bar, isn't it? Yeah. Like, the actual caring for you and yeah. the nurturing... Um, of um you and when people say lots of people thank my husband which he finds a tiny bit tedious sort of like you know oh we know that you know she wouldn't be able to do what she does without you sort of thing and he's just like he doesn't and he's just like it's just our life like it's no biggie like yeah. i'm not making it you know i'm not i'm so sorry i'm away again and he's like it's all right it's just it's just the way we live jess and like never making you feel bad about it and just uh, you don't need to be like supportive like like you know, doing a ticker tape parade every day, just kindly not making a fuss, basically, is, that's nice. And I think men, in lots of ways, are better at that. Yeah, my dad's my support system, I mean, both my parents,
3: but, I mean, it is more unusual that it's the dad. Lots of people's mums are supporting them. Yeah. And it is a bit more unusual that my dad's, like, not only driving me everywhere, but also coming round to do the cleaning and making (laughs) an Irish stew and making a cottage pie and what would you like for this? And it's a very good relationship with my son as well, which makes me very happy. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel very, very, very fortunate in having had him. And he's just very funny, it's including, like, when things go wrong. He's extremely funny when things go wrong. And I do think sometimes that, because, um, of course, for all intents and purposes, I just, like, sound like an English person. Yeah. Sometimes I have to remind myself when I'm with English people that it's not always a gift to immediately make a joke out of something when things have gone terribly wrong because I do sometimes offend. I think I have, like, a sort of, sort of a gal- that gallows humour... Kind of I think like. that's, I mean,
2: <laughs> I would think this, you know, I, I, I am from uh, sort of Birmingham Irish family, but mm-hmm. uh, I definitely think this. When my mum died, while she was still in the room with us having died, my auntie and uncle were there and um, we were all sat round in a big circle and uh, everyone was saying those things, those platitudes that people say, which, you know, are true, but nonetheless they were saying, oh, you know, it's... Um, you know, I can't think of a bad thing to say about her. She was, you know, I know everybody always says this, but she was really, really great. And there was sort of silent, And my husband just said, I really hated the way that she called crumpets pikelets. <laughs> <laughs> totally broke the mood. And we all yeah, laughed. Yeah. Like, but yes, there, I have been in situations where I've tried to make, and I'm in terribly sad situations yeah. all the time, tried to make a sort of joke. And I thought, oh, okay, not this, not this, not this Yeah, crowd. that's not their currency. That's yeah. not the way they
3: communicate. So it's kind of. Fine, but when you do communicate with that, it's the greatest gift to find Mm. find a chink of light, to find something to laugh at. Um, But I find that, um, yeah, if people don't roll like that, then... It's, it's like it's like offensive yeah. to them, they don't obviously perceive it as a kid <laughs>
2: <laughs> um our, how old is your
3: dad? He is in his early seventies, but again because he's, oh, he must have he was quite young when you were born yeah, they were then, very so. young they were very young, and everyone said it wouldn't last and all yeah. that. Um, but of course he's got a working a working class body, his body is knackered because yeah. of being down mines, yeah. and he was caught between two trains in a tin mine, his chest is knackered because of the coal dust. He's deaf because, of course, there was not really anything about hearing whatever, whatever. So, all again, all of which he's actually very cheerful about because, you know what, you'll like this. He says, oh, well, he says, all the men I worked with are dead. I'm doing
0: better than that. (laughs) Yes, still alive. (laughs) Still alive.
3: Um, But again, it's really interesting from that class point of view when I compare him to the... You know, because I've kind of jumped class a bit. I've got lots of posh friends now and I love that. That's, yeah, I mean, I love yeah. everyone. I can't, be, I can't be getting into not liking people because of this, that. But it's really interesting looking at their fathers and looking at their father's bodies and looking yeah. at their father's health, looking at the way their father's, when there is something wrong with them, they're confident enough to go into an environment and ask for help. Yeah. Whereas my dad, he kind of can't, I mean, he can read now, but his writing is still very, and especially under stress and under yeah. pressure and feeling ill, He can't really, he doesn't feel confident in any kind of situation with professional people. He feels anxious, you know, so it's all of that. And you just see again how the class stuff, the poverty stuff continues to bite you.
2: I find it incredibly hard when, um, like you say, I've got loads of posh friends and I, you know, I'm definitely as middle class as a person could possibly be, but... um, I know people in my family and other people I know who are dead because they're working class, mm-hmm. dead younger, or it's, it's seriously sick because of poverty, poverty Mm -hmm. makes you sick. Mm -hmm. And I just like this sort of this injustice that we don't really talk about. Sometimes we talk about life expectancy Mm -hmm. in like in Birmingham. There's one bit of Birmingham where if you go one mile down the road, you're going to die Mm -hmm. eight years younger Mm -hmm. on average. And like that, but you know, and everybody knows that's shocking, but like when you're living it, like there are people who've died in my family. And I just thought if, you know, the things you've died of, you wouldn't have died of if you were posh, if you'd grown, had a different childhood, not lived in Damp accommodation your whole yeah. life. I also meet people who tell me that they're like in my constituency surgeries who will be there talking to you and you, you. I'm looking at them and I'm thinking they're about 70 and then they'll tell me their date of birth when we're taking the details and they're the same age as me. Mm-hmm. It just ages you being... Mm-hmm. Poor and working in certain mm-hmm. environments,
3: yeah. And that even if because you know, my dad's done well for himself, so it's not a money thing now, it's still not really, no, it's just the environment. Confident you're living. To ask. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the effect of what's happened to his body up yeah. until then, and then it's not being confident and or not knowing how to ask for anything yeah. for himself or say, I don't agree with you, or yeah, or like he just again, it's just ve- it's very interesting and difficult and sad, obviously, but but very present and then you sort of think like oh this is how it works this is how it kind of keeps reverberating for people like that sort of again just like an agony that he might ever like try and put himself forward or try and um, you know jump to the front of the queue or and it's like well yeah but you can say that you're there you know like you, yeah. it's not uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just, uh, just to let you know no, I am here yeah, I think you can ask for some help you yeah. know I was uh, in a recently for 17 hours with my own father and uh, I basically became just a terrible bossy madam for everybody in the uh, <laughs> everybody in the uh, in the waiting room. I was just like, "How long have you been waiting?" Like going around taking the mm-hmm. details off everyone because I recognise as well that there's just some people in there who are just going to sit quietly and not ever be like, "Oh, can I just say I've been here 17 hours? Could I just have a sandwich? Could yeah. I just like you know?" And the nurses are run off their feet, like you say that that you know, and they're dealing with actual like people being you know. Going into cardiac arrest and things, you know. So I just sort of became like a, you know, a madam on behalf of not not that sort of madam, uh, <laughs> on behalf of um, on behalf of the people in the waiting room because I, I have been raised now, and also because of my job, a level of entitlement. Mm-hmm. that I, I feel and I'm happy to share that entitlement but lots of people just don't feel that level of entitlement at all yeah need a bit of an advocate yeah. so it's probably
3: very nice for those people not your dad obviously but it's nice for the other people that you were there that night and could just kind
2: of yeah help them out a bit yeah and, yeah yeah um, um, and just chivying everybody needs someone chivying people along <laughs> I love it chivier that should be a job in yeah. all environments just get <laughs> someone to do the chivying um so how would you sign off a letter to your amazing sounding dad? I would say, Dad, thank you very much for everything.
3: I think you're brilliant. And just, you don't have to do anything else now. Just be yourself. Just enjoy your life for whatever you want to have in it. And, um, yeah, thanks very much. must be so proud of you. He's really proud of me. And, again, it's, it's almost, like, difficult to explain to people who, like, for him, the fact that I... Write things and talk on Radio Four, like that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, um, that's
2: that. For any parent, the wireless is the height. Yeah, like, so that yeah. For Radio him, Four. Yeah,
3: it's a much bigger deal than if I could. Yeah, it's massive. It's massively more than if I'd say I don't know, like won an Olympic medal for running or whatever. It's specific, It's not just that I do what I do. It's the. It's my craft, the yeah. way that I do it, and um, so yeah, he's very proud of it, and he just loves the. He really, like, over the years, one of the things that I never anticipated was, he loves the other people I do things with. So at one point, he was driving me around, like, when his health was a bit better, they were driving me around festivals, my parents. And so they were meeting all the people I'd done events with. And it was just, he he just couldn't believe that people found him interesting. But it's like, you are interesting, Dad. And he kind of couldn't believe that all these amazing, brilliant women normally were just kind of, like, finding him interesting. So that was all very nice. Oh, lovely.
0: But, yeah, they're brilliant.
3: Both my parents are amazing. And they're just incredibly good people always trying to do their best in an ordinary way they wouldn't think they were that great they're very sort of modest and humble um but yeah and it's what a thing to have had that just to see that to grow up with that
2: is a big deal and when you come across people who didn't didn't go up with that such a gift such a Mm. gift to have parents that love each other and love you and make mistakes and Mm. that's okay. Like, that sort of warm. It doesn't actually matter if you have all the money in the world. It'd be better if you had some. But it's like, you know, if your parents, like, take the piss out of each other and (laughs) you, I just think, like, that is what a total gift to have a happy childhood. Yeah. Um, And and it
3: is the most important thing. And I know rich people who grew up in a house where they were frightened. Yeah. And, like, no money is would compensate no, for no. for the effect that that leaves on you. Whatever that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like, it's, it's the most important thing, I think.
2: So the second person I asked you to think about was um, somebody who's no longer with us. So who would that person be? So that
3: is my brother, Matty. And the great sadness of my dad's life, my life, my mother's life, is that my brother died... Um, And he died in a really long and horrible way. He was knocked over um, by a car when he was 16 and I was 17. We lived in this pub in Yorkshire. And then he, um, so I was with him in the road waiting for the ambulance and then they operated on him. And then he never regained consciousness, but he was alive for another eight years in a persistent vegetative state. Um, And we eventually had to go to the family court and get, mission to end his life Mm. yeah and it's the only time actually that I've ever been envious of my dad not being able to write because we had to swear affidavits and my mum wrote one and my dad was just allowed my dad's just was I agree with what my wife says and I had to write my own and I remember just the impossibility of knowing that it was best that he died and the impossibility of writing down I want my brother to die and I remember thinking I wish I couldn't write Mm. I wish there was something that was stopping me having to write this down um But that, of course, that was the only time. So, yes, so it would be to my brother. And then um, it, I don't know, kind of obviously didn't ruin my life because I've managed to scramble out the other side of it. But it was huge and cruel and terrible and took me an awfully long time to understand why, which I have a much better handle on now, because everyone, at the point Matty was knocked over this was really useful for me to learn. Like, if he'd been knocked over 10 years even before, they wouldn't have been able to keep him alive. Like, the technology wasn't there. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. He but he was knocked just over
3: when it was just about possible. But equally, no one yet had sussed out that actually that it's that's not a good idea for anyone mm. to do that. So there was really no... There was no, there was no kind of acknowledgement of that. So you were in this
2: sort of middle period because now I think you 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 would be given yeah uh, much uh, greater option and the doctors would uh, like you see it's in these the, sort it's, of contentious it's like available. cases. The yeah. information
3: is available yeah. and you don't. We we did have to sort of invent the wheel on it. Not and I remember what like about five or six years in. I can't actually remember the timing, but um, but but Tony Bland, who was injured in Hillsborough, was the first case. Mm. And it was when I saw that on the news that I first kind of thought, oh, like, I think that's, I think that's, is that us? Like, is that, is that what, what the situation we're in? Because there was nothing, nothing available. No internet, because even if there had been anything available, yeah, there'd been no, I mean, it's easy to kind of forget how yeah. little information yeah, there, there was in yeah. 1990. So, um, but... There's a lot more information now because I did eventually write a book about it. Lots of people write to me that have been in the yeah. situation but they, oft- they often say, and they're right, they, say- they tell me and they say, I thought you would, so it's very moving, yeah. they say, I thought you'd like to know that this-, this is happening now to people. It's not happening like quite so horribly okay, as it did yeah. to you and your family because there are Cause it's not, um, I think
2: I said somewhere in it, it's just horrible to think of it happening to other people as well. So It's an odd one because we're- I think we are better now at talking about fundamentally about death. Mm. Full stop. Mm-hmm. I think that we have got better at that, and that that in those circumstances. Also, the the sort of the the conversation about assisted dying mm-hmm. that goes alongside it, with people who are themselves saying, "This is what I would want." Mm-hmm in which just wouldn't have exi- just didn't yeah. exist yeah. before so you didn't even have the conversation mm. de- like going on where people who have got long-term terminal illnesses mm-hmm. or, or or have been in accidents saying this is what I want so you have to guess you have to in your situation guess yeah what the person would have wanted on the basis of just knowing that person mm. which if you've never, nowadays, like I've had that conversation with yeah, everybody people talk about I it love. Now. Yeah. yeah, I know what my husband would want. I know what my parents would want. Like, you know, we've had these yeah. conversations. So it, it is, it, you, you, you completely in the dark mm-hmm. in 1990 about what was going to happen. The only conversations you were we ever had was about donating your organs, really, yeah. was the conversation. That's right. But yeah. that's it, really. And actually,
3: that's, yeah, because that night I remember we were.
2: Obviously, it was just like like out of
3: nowhere, this grenade exploding into our family. But I do remember the first night saying, "If he dies, he'd want his organs to be donated." Yeah. I, you're right; I knew that have because had we'd that had, had that conversation. Had that conversation. Yeah. I think we both had a little card in our yeah, yeah, little but, sort of yeah. pretend grown-up wallets, yeah. you know, because we were sixteen and seventeen. Yeah. I remember I had a condom and a donor card yeah. in my wallet because that was that was not what you did Everybody in nineteen yeah nineteen eighty nine when you were seventeen. That's what you had in your purse, yes, you know. Yeah. That's what
2: I knew about. But I didn't know anything about any of this.
3: Yeah, that so. is.
2: I mean, what what a thing to have to deal with. I, um, funnily enough, have the experience of wanting my brother to die. Um, in that, my brother was a heroin addict for many many years, uh, and it caused terrible pain and grief for my family. Uh, which you know, I've said this to him many times. Um, and there were times when I definitely thought like he'd be better off, we'd be better off if this just killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of like then at the aftermath of dealing with that, like knowing that you felt that you'd be better off if they mm-hmm. were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but not just you, they as well, mm-hmm. like he would be better off. But mainly my mum and dad was the thing that I thought about. Like, you know, I just think they'd be better off. Now he's fine now and completely recovered and all that. And that's, that's lovely. And my, lots of people don't end up with that being the story. But like I... I still feel like I wasn't wrong to feel that way, but it, I do feel guilty. Now he's got two kids. They're lovely. Don't you know, like they're <laughs> running around and like, but you know, I definitely felt like that there's a misery to be put out of. Um But it's a sort of impossible task to ask you to actually, if I'd actually had to sign a piece of paper that, I, I I know I wouldn't have done it, you know what I mean? But yeah. I definitely felt it It's very troubling,
3: isn't it? I remember actually reading something you'd written about it. I read it years yeah. ago and I remember thinking... I remember being surprised at how similar the territory felt to me emotionally, like as the sister. So even though what's happening to the brother is a really different thing, I remember that feeling of kinship with yeah. your sort of yeah. moral ethical dilemma in it. And the... Oh, the kind of the knowledge about the the knowledge about what you think is right, but then also it's incredibly profoundly troubling yeah. because it's almost like like rightly so we don't want to start thinking that it's like Agatha Christie mur- novels, isn't it? When you know they're always saying things like, um, "Oh, well, once you've murdered someone, you just start doing." <laughs> I mean, we don't want to we don't want to start thinking like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> Death oh well, is nothing. so oh. and so, you know, whatever." I mean, I've always because we've I've got all this documentation now I've like got all the legal stuff me and my parents we're all absolutely like completely clear and want it to be clear and I I I kind of like said in mind like well I don't, if there's a chance of me getting better, then kind of fine. But I don't like, like if I've got a headache that won't go, you know, you know like a very low threshold of wanting to be alive with pain, you know. Yeah. But of course, I only know that because of what I've experienced. And then yeah. you you know that then when you're in a situation where as the person you can't say what you want, then again, you're back in the system. You're in a system where the existing structures of everything are Taking over. And when I look back on it as well, I think we didn't know the right questions to ask and we didn't know the people to ask. And even though nobody knew anything, once I met some posh friends, one of the things I used to think was, okay, well, her dad would have been able, he would have known what, he'd have got a lot quicker at what to do or what to know or what the right questions are because nobody's telling you the truth because nobody wants to say, actually, you know, this is, you know, so it was years of kind of. The hardest thing when I look back on it was years of hope that retrospectively was pretty pointless and everybody knew it was pretty pointless, but no one wanted to tell us that. I mean, admittedly, we didn't want to hear it for the first two or three years. But again, the information wasn't there. We weren't asking the right questions. No one else was bold, brave, brilliant enough to say, you you know, and still didn't... um, When I think back to when Matty actually died, like even then... This doesn't happen now because now there's all sorts of guidelines with how everybody within the system needs to be treated, healthcare professionals as well, but certainly like fragile siblings. And it amazes me that after that, no one no one said to my parents, like, why don't you get that nice daughter of yours some therapy? Why don't you just get some why don't we get a bit of help for her? She's just been, you know, it took him 13 days and she's in bits. Why don't you get a bit of support for her? Not none of that. It was just sort of like yeah. Anyway,
2: <laughs> did you get like survivor's guilt as well throughout very the time? Much so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. survivor's guilt is a very, very real thing. Yeah. I've come across it many, many yeah. times, um, especially with people who've suffered uh, murder or uh, like, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the one who survives is. Um, terrible survivor's guilt but literally watching and for your parents like if you know I've got two children and if one of them was in that situation you would want absolutely for the other one to be to to be living the best possible life like my mum always used to be with me about my brother Luke like the thing that hurts me the most is the effect that this has on Mm -hmm. you lot my other Mm -hmm. children like actually I've got a responsibility to you as well Um, but like as the child in that, you would just feel guilty that you were growing up having any experience using that condom. Yeah,
3: exactly, yeah, very much that, all of that, and any kind of enjoyment. How can I be enjoying myself when? um, How can I think this is important? Nothing's important. Like, Matty was basically as... I don't know, damage... Somebody said that once, it was in a medical report. Some surgeon said he's the most brain-damaged person I've ever seen. He was basically as damaged as you can be without being dead. So, like, why did my A-levels matter? Why did my this matter? Why did that matter? Why did the other matter? And then sort of living in that environment and trying to... You know, which I didn't really have any awareness of at the time. You know, again, it's that nice thing that comes with age. Rather than thinking I'm a very bad and terrible person, I think like slightly amazing I managed to get through it at oh, all. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, but oh,
2: again, and do you, to yourself when you get old. That oh, is nice. it's isn't so it nice, isn't it? Isn't it? To nice, yeah, yeah, it's
3: nice. And you just think like, oh, yeah. So I kind of now look back with a lot of compassion for me, and of course, I was very fortunate because of having my parents. Yeah. And as they would say, if they were here, we were fortunate that we had you. Yeah. And probably what I feel now about my brother as well is, because for years he was buried under the the, the personality of him and he was incredibly fun, again, really yeah. funny, really smart, really bright, really... Um, I don't know, I just really liked being with him. We were both a bit probably Did you like... Did fight with him?
2: We fought when we were younger, like Little, really half physically. Yeah.
3: And we used to kind of like, I remember like I threw a milk jug at him yeah. and it smashed on the wall. We stopped actually when he got stronger than me because he was a year younger. Yeah. So we carried on fighting. Then there was one day, I remember he was kicking my head into the corner of the kitchen <laughs> units. And I said to <laughs> but, him afterwards, I said, I, that really I think this, hurt. Thing, thing doing, he was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was like taller and stronger. I think I was about maybe, we were maybe 13, 14. And we stopped absolutely at the moment when it, he was just too, it was just, and then him. we didn't. And um, and I often did find him annoying when we were younger, but I found him I blissful. I my husband annoying, but I still
2: love him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean. But I also remember there was a bit, there was a time when he was always wanting me to do stuff with him. And then one day he hadn't come to pester me and I went to him and I said like, oh, do you want to go to Monopoly? And he was like, no. And I thought, it's not supposed to work like that. You know, like I, I'm supposed to be the one that, but the last couple of years um, were just, were blissful like after we'd stopped the physical fighting we just got on really well he was he was just incredibly funny and I miss that and I miss of course the me that I might have been me without been, all the pain yeah. and the trauma and I miss him and I miss and I know I've got a bit of an idealised version of what he might have been be like yeah, you know yeah, I was talking yeah. about a friend, a friend about this yesterday like because she's got loads of brothers most of whom are quite annoying and of course I've it got could three. be yeah I mean please feel free to take one of them
2: <laughs> you are welcome <laughs>
3: So it could be that... And, of course, the other thing is, I'm obsessed with this notion of a parallel universe when that didn't happen. Mm. And... Um- you would
2: like the idea of a multiverse yes if my yeah. husband were here now he could talk at length about how that is a real thing and I, I just simply don't understand it or believe how it does he think it's a real thing well he, he believes that there is multi yeah, yeah I don't know whether he believes it he believes in some science that is actually proven oh. but yeah there is like you know the, the idea of a parallel universe so I'm completely obsessed with this and sort of think it's true
3: and I'm now embarrassed about saying it because I've no, no, don't, i don't. never wanted to say it because it's the sort of no, thing no my husband definitely I say is like it and it's then totally, I think like I'm about to be carted off to totally an asylum possible, or something totally yeah. possible I'm of comp- and then I just think, like, is it just because I've read too many novels? quite often in novels it sort of does happen that the action splits. But I've always been upset, at, like, I just endlessly imagine that I just think I'm just a little dot and there's all these other dots doing all the other storylines. Of course. So, but I know it's when the thing, of course, about the storyline where Matty's accident didn't happen is that that me in that universe doesn't know what the alternative universe is. Yeah. So I'm in that universe, but I don't know how lucky I am. I don't yeah. know about the absence of the pain. I'm probably in a bad mood with my brother cuz I think he's self-obsessed yeah. and I'm probably upset cuz of something a he's boyfriend's done. He's married Megan Markle. Exactly. And I don't know in that universe what the cuz it's really difficult to be ab- grateful for the like the absence of extraordinary terrible pain, isn't it? Yeah. And so so I find that sort of interesting. Yeah, but I,
2: I also I I totally agree with you like you you you, you, you essentially you take stuff for granted, don't you, you take mm. you take uh because you don't know now what's happening to the other Cathy and another exactly. one. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. another one where it's way worse. Yeah. So yeah. just be grateful yeah. for what you've got. But also that that sort of glib thing people say when bad things happen to people, like, oh, you know, it makes you stronger or it's the person you are today or, you know, it's everything happens for a reason. I just think a little bit like, I'd, I'd really rather it happen. I just think, well, actually, it's really shit and could undo it. If, if, yeah. if somebody said you can undo it now, I'll undo it. It's because people are funny about death. It's a bit like the argument with domestic abuse where... People no longer say anymore. They don't say, Oh, she was asking for it, like that's gone. Mm-hmm. They now say, Well, why didn't she leave? Yeah. And that it doesn't actually come from a nasty place. It comes from a place where people don't want to believe that it could happen to them. Yes. And yeah. so people for some reason have to come up with socially something that is socially acceptable to say like well at least you've made the most of it like you know <laughs> like, it's just just don't say anything as my mother would have said you've missed the perfect opportunity there bab to say nothing <laughs> um, just just say nothing yeah. is absolutely fine one thing i do think is probably like a positive from it is
3: that i just don't sort of like sweat the small stuff about um uh, like i just don't care about loads of stuff that people care about um, and I wonder in the parallel universe, like, am I the sort of person that, I don't know, gets really cross if people don't send me birthday card <laughs> or kind of like gets wound up about other people doing this, that or the other? I mean, I don't think I am. I think that was possibly in my personality anyway. Are I don't you, uh, know, but I yeah. don't know. Maybe yeah. I am. Maybe I'm one of those people that I look at and think, why on earth are you cross? What, like, who cares about the fact that the birthday party's got to be change because of the double booking and the whatever why don't you just book the place down the road like maybe in the parallel universe i'm the sort of person that, that i don't know like takes to twitter to try to shame the customer
2: service people who yeah. you know i don't know maybe i am Hope yeah, not. one of those people <laughs> in my family we, we say people who won't trouble the statue makers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're not going to trouble the statue makers are they just <laughs> are they whinging about everything <laughs> yeah maybe maybe yeah who knows? Yeah. I, I like to think that yeah, it wasn't because bad things happened to me that yeah. I'm not a massive dickhead. <laughs> uh, but you never know. We could all we can all be a bit of a dickhead at times, I suppose. Uh, so, how would you sign off the letter to Matty?
3: I would say. Finally, I've got to the place at that I am really grateful for the time that I had with you, yeah. which I now see. And thank you for being amazing and brilliant and funny. And I obviously think that if there was a parallel universe where we're in it, we're just having a brilliant time the yeah. whole time. Um, <laughs> and I'm always laughing at your jokes and we just rack it around town having a great laugh. But um, thank yeah. you for all of it.
2: I think that you're the first person ever who fundamentally to the person who died had to actually write something that is quite so traumatic, actually. And the mm. idea of writing a letter to him uh, and entire, in fact, an entire book, you know, there is an element of getting over the dreadful writing thing, <laughs> the, the thing that you had to write that was dreadful. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's that's very uncommon to have to like write an affidavit to mm-hmm. say something like that, that. Most people will never have that experience mm-hmm. in their life ever. Mm-hmm. Even though everybody encounters death in one way or another, that is, that is some that that's. A, and I don't think I could have done it. I, I mean, I would have in your second. Mm-hmm. I like to think that I would, but you know, in the time where I felt like I wanted my brother to die, I think if I'd actually had to in a court of law say it, I would have been like that. nope, can't do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, the situation is different. We'll be back for the final letter after a
1: short break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
0: Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. So
2: the final letter I asked you to write was to somebody who wouldn't know what an effect they'd had on your life. So who would that be?
3: Well, so I chose. Uh, I really kind of like enjoyed thinking about this one, and I chose Hilary Mantel. Oh, I don't, oh, she, she she died recently. She died quite recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and she's so obviously she's a writer. She wrote the novels about Thomas Cromwell. Um, I've loved her since reading her memoir, which is called Giving Up the Ghost, which is a lot about living with pain. Um, And there's just something about her that I feel, and she died recently I always slightly felt that I like might be, maybe might meet her oh yeah she seems meetable she seemed meetable and I kind of <laughs> f- there
2: was something really open and generous about her and somebody the way said she was. David Bowie earlier and they're, <laughs> you're going to meet there Yeah, uh, even regardless of yeah. the fact that they're both dead yes. in fact actually he was less meetable yeah. <laughs> than Hilary <laughs> Ransfield
3: and she had a reputation for being generous and I never tried to meet like I could have almost like tried to yeah. I could have like managed to meet her if yeah. you see what I mean but that's not my bag anyway yeah. I don't it slightly gives me the heebie-jeebies yeah. to I actively try to meet people I admire. So, but I kind of thought I might. And then she died. And I sort of realised that really the point about, and I'm in no way comparing myself to her as a writer, because I think she's some sort of genius, whatever. And I'm very happy to be like a tiny bit of speck of glitter in the same universe or whatever. But there's something about writing that is magical because people write to me sometimes when they've read my books and they say, I felt like you wrote it for me. And I've increasingly realised like I did, I did write it for you. I, I imagined you and you came. And the fact that you think I wrote it for you means that I did write it for you. And I really feel that. And as I was sort of thinking about Hilary Mantel and myself and all these reader letters and thinking about hearing from readers and responding to them, it kind of made me see that actually, with some writers, like it's like the best of them is in the writing. And I didn't have to meet Hilary Mantel, like living or dead, to have that relationship with her. So the massive just the huge effect she's had like on my life, not just my writing, my whole life, by writing about living with pain and just by writing about writing and the way she does writing. And I thought, she gave that gift to lots of people as well as me, but that there just seems something so astonishing and profound and privileged to be able to have that with her. But also that I don't, sometimes when I'm teaching people to write, again, they get all a bit in like, oh, but do I have to, have an MA and you know, every time I read about a writer, they've accidentally been mentored by some writer and they're living in a shed in their garden. And I'm always like, just, you don't have to know the people that are mentoring you. You find, you find your guru. It's a chemistry thing. Find the person who makes you want to, you read a sentence of theirs and it makes you want to get a notebook out. It doesn't matter whether you knew them. And sometimes I say to people as well, like when I'm teaching courses, it's like, well, It's not impossible, we could be friends, but you're getting the best of me in the teaching and the writing. If you were actually in my house, you'd just be watching me do the ironing, or you'd probably be doing the ironing, and I'd be
2: lying on the sofa, and I'd be... You know, you're getting the bit where I've just edited out all the boring stuff. It's it's like whenever anyone introduces me on a stage... They make it sound like there was no downtime. <laughs> and I think, you know, I watched lots of box sets in that time. <laughs> that, that is like, yeah. there was a whole lot of boring shit that went on. It like makes me sound absolutely incredible. And <laughs> like, I'm like that. Whew, I'm very bang average 99% of the time. I'm, I'm literally playing on my phone. <laughs> so, but yeah, like the, the people put people on a pedestal yeah. and actually the pedestal she is on is the books that she, she, right. she poured it they, in there they and you are can have her. that. Yeah, they yeah. are her. They're the best of her.
3: I can have it. If I felt she wrote it for me, she did write it for me and that's all
2: great. I love it when I feel like that about yeah. a book. I feel like, oh my God... I feel like this book has been written for me. It's quite a different thing, I think, that when you read a book that is actually slightly been written about you, that yeah. is. <laughs> that, that's a slight. Uh, the, the, the latest book by Sarah Vaughan, I helped, uh, which um, is about a politician who gets loads of abuse. And I met with her. And it's like, but it's like a psychological thriller. It's nothing quite like reading in bed at night when you're on your own. A psychological thriller that is basically about your life. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm going to be murdered. And, or. Um, be a murderer those are the two options for me in this scenario um but that feeling where you feel like somebody has written something for you is is like oh it's like yeah, a, a rush yeah, yeah it's and like a rush it's,
3: i'm not alone oh yeah. it's not just me yeah oh i thought it was only me that did that and it's not just me yeah. it's somebody else oh you know and then it kind of it's it's just very brilliant and very yeah extremely magical and in a way again a bit like I'm not claiming that Hilary Mantel visits me, but I just do keep. I was always dreaming about her anyway. I dreamt about her before she died. I dreamt about her since she died, and um, so it's that thing of realizing that because my relationship with her is in her books, and because that's existing outside of yeah. corporal whatever, yeah. I don't. I don't get. To, I don't stop having it with her because she's died, um, and also I, again, probably because I don't because of what happened to my brother. I don't see death like other people mm-hmm. do. So again, whenever anybody dies. I also find this to be ridiculous. I mean, not Hilary Mantel, because she was quite young, and I don't mean to be casual about it for her relatives, but you know when someone who's 96 dies and everybody goes on and on about how dreadful it is? I always want to say, they were 96. It's like, Like I don't mean that that's... Yeah, it's not like that that's... (laughs) But, like, why are we pretending that this is a surprising event? Shocking. <laughs> Shocking death of a 106-year-old person. I just... I literally don't... Well, I do get it. It's because of the taboo around death. Yes, so we yeah. have all these
2: stupid conversations
0: yeah, that aren't yeah, sensible.
2: Yeah. It is so worse f- when young people die. I'm it, sorry, it, is. it just
0: yeah, is.
3: Yeah, it just is worse. Yeah. It just and the is. death out of time is a terrible, traumatic Like, if I fate. died
2: or one of my children died, it would definitely be worse if one yeah. of my children died. It's just the fundamental... It just is, yeah. Just is. Yeah. I, I mean, sorry, I know it's sad mm-hmm. when, I mean, you know, I've lost people when they were young and old and it's worse when they're yeah young. yeah much worse mm-hmm. uh you know it's because uh, the promise is gone yeah the promise the promise and the. I often think when people like I think if I or if I died before I got to retire all those years that me and my husband worked really hard and looked after our kids and like you know sort of sweated the thing I'm robbing is those plans we made Yeah, you know like and some of them are very mundane uh but um like we you've Taking away the hope, the promise when you take away some of it. Whereas, you know, 96 year old people, yeah. they probably don't have that greater plans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the they've had the life. Yeah, yeah. They've had a great life. Do
3: you think it's, off, it's also that it's, again, it's a very horrible reminder that the world isn't going to behave like we want it to? Yeah. Again, it's back to it's not a shop, it's not a spa, yes. and it, terrible things can happen at any moment to people, it's, anyone. It's not a plan. It's not, yeah, and it's not, yeah. it's not that like, I behaved well, so therefore... Yeah, you get the, good stuff. I get the good stuff. Yeah. It's just like... All that stuff oh. we're taught as
2: children. Like, yeah. if you do this, this will happen. Yeah. If you do this, this will happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's not true. It's not true at all. <laughs> so it sometimes Stop often is a bit of a brutal reminder Stop. about all of that. It is. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just yeah. like, oh, shit, that happened to me. Yeah. Like, what? Hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. I've been a good citizen. Yeah, I, especially this year, I've been an extra good citizen. This bad thing can't <laughs> possibly happen to me, uh, if only that were true. Uh, and it actually, then the alternative seems to be true, doesn't it? Is that only bad things happen to good people? <laughs> and it's like, hang on a minute, there's some sort of universal yeah. problem here. Because should I have been bad? <laughs> yeah, and then... that's it. it. Should have just been an arsehole. Yeah, it. The outcome would have been the same. Yeah, so this you is what's going to happen yeah, anyway. Yeah.
3: Why did then I bother, what, I don't know, like yeah. being polite to that person or, you know, <laughs>
2: whatever. So. so how would you sign off the letter to Hilary Mantel? I would say, dear Hilary Mantel, I know you did this for lots of
3: people and not just for me, but I am beyond extraordinarily grateful that you did do it for me. And if, as I slightly have this glimmer of feeling that there is some kind of existence in which you are, I really hope you're enjoying whizzing around pain free like no longer in yeah. the human body with all that pain of it and um yeah i kind of do slightly imagine on that whole thing if there is an afterlife which i never quite know but i kind in the same one that i can slightly imagine my Brother, kind of like lounging on a cloud, looking at me as if to say, why the fuck are you talking about this again? I can slightly imagine Hilary Mantel sort of whizzing around on some sort of celestial scooter, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, you know, kind of having fun and just being very, very interesting and cleverer than everyone else, but not... Um, showy. Showy. Yeah. So that was a very long answer, but that's sort of I like what I would it. like to
2: tell her. I like it. I like that Hilary Mantel brought to life the uh, such a masculine... Thing Like, you know, like the idea of Thomas yeah. uh, Cromwell and that whole, I studied that in history and, yeah, I don't know, like it just, through the eyes of a woman, it is, I just, that's how they are in my head now, forever yeah, and ever, that's and, what, ever that's and ever and ever. I think. And bear in mind I work in the building where there's yeah. all the big, massive paintings yeah. of them all yeah. everywhere. Like I am amongst them, they are looking down on me all the time and in my head they are the characters that she wrote. Yeah. Well, Cathy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for uh, telling us about the three people you would write to. So thanks very much for coming in. It's been a delight. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you click the follow button now on the app where you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. This has been an Audio Always Original.
1: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.